I'm Catherine Spearing, and this is Uncertain. This episode was inspired by my recent trip back to the South, which is where I grew up. I realized that where I live in Los Angeles, I never feel single. But when I went to the South, I felt single the entire time. What's more, I was aware that there was some kind of otherness about me. I felt awkward. I was out of place. I felt like something was wrong with me because I was single. This experience was bizarre mainly because I'm someone who actually really likes being single. I don't have this grass is greener on the other side posture towards marriage. Sure, there are times when I'm making a big decision that I really wish I had a partner who could be making that decision with me. Currently, I'm launching a nonprofit and trying to get a book published, and I'm really excited about these things. They are my children, and I want to brag about them the way that parents brag about their kids. But I don't live with this constant feeling of loss or lack of something because I'm not married. So to go back to the South and feel this weird, bizarre otherness, I remembered how I felt that way all the time when I lived there and throughout most of my life. I remember writing about singleness a lot more during those days. I remember talking about singleness a lot more with my friends. Now, singleness comes up occasionally, and it's definitely a part of my life, but it's not the only part of my life. This is not an episode pitting one type of lifestyle against another type or pitting the West Coast against the South. However, I was reminded that a huge part of the church actually feels the way that I felt. I also remember that one of the reasons why I started to speak about my experience as a single person was because I was aware I wasn't just speaking for myself. I think it's important to recognize that not only do we have straight single people in our communities, We also have lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, and queer people in our communities. No matter where you fall on the spectrum of belief, agreement, or alignment with any of these things, the reality is it exists. It's here. We can make our communities places that make outsiders to the traditional marriage and gender roles uncomfortable, weird, and in worst cases, hostile. Or we can work to make these communities welcoming and safe for everyone. This is Uncertain Podcast's first Q&A episode. As I was prepping for this episode, I realized something I have never noticed before. Beneath the questions that married people ask about singleness and the questions single people ask about singleness, there lies two basic foundational questions. Those two foundational questions are, how do I interact with someone who is different than me? And what do I do when I find myself in circumstances I didn't expect and definitely didn't want? These are questions common to any human being, so I decided to address these core questions within the context of singleness. I did my best to make this episode something everyone could benefit from, no matter your marriage status. This podcast supports Tears of Eden, a community and resource for those in the aftermath of spiritual abuse. If you are enjoying the Uncertain Podcast, I invite you to take a moment to like, subscribe, or leave a review on your favorite podcasting listening apparatus. Thanks for joining me today. Let's get started. In some communities, it's common for women to stay home with their kids. Women are primary caretakers and men are primary breadwinners. In these communities, 
it makes sense that specifically for single women that she would find it odd when all of her friends are no longer working and staying home with their kids. When the single woman is working in a culture where it's assumed that most women will get married and have kids, she's likely to find she's an outsider. I remember one time sitting with one of my married friends talking about some really difficult struggles I was having in my job. Her husband walked by and super offhandedly said, well, just get married and you won't have to worry about it. I didn't take the time in that moment to say, actually, I'm planning to have a career whether I get married or not, whether I have kids or not. But this offhanded comment came from a culture where it was just expected that men were going to have careers and women were going to be the support system. It's taken me a long time to get to a place where I can say this, but that lifestyle is just a lifestyle. There's nothing wrong with it. A lot of times it's a luxury that someone can financially afford to have one parent be at home with the kids. However, it's important to note that in more conservative church cultures, it's expected by popular choice that most women will stay home with their kids. This leads to things like the offhanded comment from my friend's husband. This leads to challenges for women who still want to pursue their careers once they have kids. It also leads to an environment where someone who is single, whether they're single by choice or single because of circumstances, might feel a little bit odd. There's something in the waters in these cultures, and if you're not following the traditional marriage path, you will feel as if you were swimming upstream. I think single men have a different struggle in these cultures. They're expected to have careers, so that part is never missing in their relationships with their male friends. However, in church cultures, it can be expected that men will do the initiating in romantic relationships. Because of this, there is a sense that the men have more control over their marriage status. While the posture towards unmarried women can be one of pity, or, You're so beautiful, why aren't you married? Or, I can't believe no one has snatched you up yet. For single men, there can be some sense of, there's something wrong with him. I've also been guilty of this when there's one single man in a community of 25 single women and I'm sitting there like, bro, just pick one. What is the big deal? I think this can lead to a lot of pressure for a single man, which is one of the reasons why it's very common for men to date outside of the community, even if there are plenty of women available inside of the community. I think it's important for us to be aware of this. Now I'm going to take a moment to answer one question that I've gotten from a lot of married people. I'm aware that there are one or two single people in our community. I know it's got to be awkward for them that they're surrounded by parents with kids. I do what I can to ask about their life and show interest and try to keep the diaper and marriage talk to a minimum, but I just don't know how to keep them from feeling like they're out of place. It's important for a married person to be asking these questions, but I don't know if you notice something here. It's a sense of otherness about the single person. When they say, I don't know how to keep them from feeling like they're out of place, they're the only single person among married people with kids. There's a chance they actually are out of place, and it's not just a feeling. Let me respond to this with an example from my own life. My best friend is a stay-at-home mom with three kids and a house with a picket fence. It's not white, but it's still a picket fence. From the outside, she is as traditional as they come. She got engaged the day that I was driving with my car piled from floor to ceiling with all of my earthly possessions to Mexico to work with a church plant. From then on, our lives took completely different paths. She quit her job pretty quickly after she got married and made plans to start a family. I lived in Mexico, followed by seminary, followed by multiple jobs throughout the United States. We were best friends, 
but I did think there was a chance that our friendship could change due to our almost completely opposite lifestyles. It has changed. In fact, I would say that we've actually gotten closer over the years. I love her kids like my own nephews and nieces, and we talk regularly on the phone. She talks to me about child rearing and about her marriage, and it's okay because it's part of her life. I love her, so I love what's important to her. She, in turn, is supportive of me and all of the things that I experience. She listens to me complain about jobs or talk about my never-ending supply of dreams for the future. She's read manuscripts that I've written and edited them extensively. She's also the most enthusiastic listener to tales from my dating life. Then we have the common topics of conversation that we both experience. Parents, siblings, friends, church, theology, sociology, psychology, the works. This is the ideal friendship between a married person and a single person. There's no sense of otherness. There's no sense of your life is over there, my life is over here. Though my best friend in my life could not be more different or distant, neither of us is so consumed with our own life and our own troubles and celebrations that we're unable to engage in what is important to the other person. But similar to a marriage, this sort of relationship takes work on both sides. When my best friend got married, I dished out a lot of money to be home for her wedding. When she had her first baby, I dropped everything and drove eight hours to be there at the hospital during the birth. One of my manuscripts she kept on her phone as a PDF and read while nursing her baby. These things take time and effort and sacrifice, but they're not suffering. I wouldn't get in my car and drive eight hours to be present for the birth of my best friend's son if I didn't want to do it. My married with kids friends wouldn't invite me over at 8 p.m. at night after the kids have gone down and stay up until nearly midnight talking, even though we have to get up for work and school the next day, if they didn't want to do it. It's work and it's effort, but you don't have to be a martyr. So the answer to the question originally posed from married people about how to keep an unmarried person from feeling awkward is to just treat them like a human being. You are more than your marriage status. They are more than their marriage status. As human beings, I guarantee you have far more in common than you have differences. Throughout history, the church has always had a category for single people. There was even a season in the church where singles were actually held up as better and closer to God and more able to be devoted to Jesus. Then Martin Luther came along with the Reformation and said that marriage was holy to God, too. Then fast forward hundreds of years to the sexual revolution, where fundamentalists had a very strong reaction that led to our present-day somewhat idolization of marriage. My challenge to the church is to swing a little bit more towards the middle. Marriage is valued and held up as honorable as it should be, but singleness is also valued and endorsed and even encouraged. A friend of mine in seminary once said that they felt, as a single person, that they were treated as if they were an illness waiting to be cured. I, too, have felt this way on occasion, and I do not think it is ever supposed to be this way. I don't know if I will ever get married while I'm single for however long that is. I want my life to be a daily defiance of this idea that marriage is the ideal state. This defiance is necessary for single people and for married people. Marriage is good. Singleness is is also good. The older a person is without being married when they wanted or expected, the more discouragement might be found. The underlying question of why 
might contain some longing, an unmet desire, perhaps even grief. I believe these are experiences any person can relate with, dissipating any logic behind placing a single in the other category. Once upon a time, with my best friend, who I previously mentioned, we believed that if we reached the ripe old age of 25 and we weren't married, it probably meant we were never going to get married. We said we would live our lives as if we were going to get married until we turned 25. If we weren't married by then, we were going to switch our plans and we were going to live as if we were never going to get married. Well, both of us passed 25 and neither of us were married, neither did the desire to get married go away. Years later, when I was moving from city number four to city number five, I had a long talk with God about how I was moving to yet another city and I still didn't have a husband. I had access to a lot of fish in the sea, so the fact that I still wasn't married, in my opinion, was just plain stupid. Now, as a veteran single, which I can officially call myself, here are my five tips for the single life, which I hope can be categorized as just tips for life. Number one, love your life right now. A while ago, I had this misplaced belief that if I embraced and loved my single life, then I would never get married. I believe this belief came from this misconception that God wanted me to get married, and if I loved a life that he didn't want for me, that he was going to give it to me as punishment for wanting something that he didn't want for me. It's a little messed up, I know, and there's all sorts of misplaced theology there, but the reality is it took me a long time to just let myself enjoy singleness. Today, I can say that I absolutely love my life. I've gotten to live all over the country. I've gotten to live in a foreign country. I've gone to seminary. I've been a minister in the church. I care about people who've been wounded by the church, so I'm starting a nonprofit. I'm pursuing my doctorate. I travel. I eat good food. I meet interesting people. And sometimes I can't believe how lucky I am to be living this life. There's a shadow side to this life, though. It's not all rainbows and sunshine and apple pies. I'm a survivor of abuse from my family of origin. I've also experienced abuse in the church. I've struggled with depression, symptoms of post-traumatic stress. I've been in difficult financial straits. I lost a job that I really loved. I've lost loved ones. I've been really sick. I've been injured. But the reality is the shadow side would exist whether I was married or not. Life is beautiful and wonderful, and it's also really difficult. And that is the same whether you're married or whether you're single. So don't let the lack of marriage dampen the things that could be really good. Tip number two, spend time with your married friends. Hear about their very real married life. If your friends are honest with you about their marriages, it will be obvious that the grass really is not greener on the other side. There are some people who are much happier married. There are some people who wish they were single again. There are some people who are really miserable married. It's important to have diverse stories of marriage. Don't make the mistake that I did once, which was to have one married person and trust everything they said about marriage. Marriages are as unique as the people who make up the couple in the marriage. Everyone has a different marriage, and the more realistic view of marriage we have, the less likely we're going to pine for something that is just normal life. It also will help us when we do get married, if we get married. We'll be less likely to try and shape our marriage in the image of someone else's marriage, and we'll be more likely to allow our marriage to be what we want it to be. Which leads to tip number three, know what you want. I encourage you to make a desires list. You can call it whatever you want. 
This is just what I call mine. Write down everything in your life that you want. If marriage is on there, great. But don't just limit it to marriage. Write down everything, little things, big things. It doesn't matter. No judgment. This is your list. No one has to see this unless you want them to. Then start checking some things off the list. My desires list is humongous. And what's really cool is when I look at this list, most of the things on the list have come true. There are a few things that I'm still waiting on, and there are a few things that didn't happen either at all or the way that I wanted them to, but it's encouraging to look and see how many dreams I've had that actually have come true. Then once you've made your list, start checking things off and invite other people to join you. Just because you're single doesn't mean you have to live life alone. However, there might be some things that you do do alone. One of the things on my list that I have yet to do is go on vacation by myself. It sounds a little bit scary and I really like people and I'm really sad about not being able to share this memory with someone and I also get really depressed when I think about asking complete strangers to take pictures of me by monuments by myself. However, this is something that I want to do at some point. It's a risk I'm going to take. I may shell out a thousand dollars and realize that I hate every minute of it and never do it again. Or I might find out that I actually really like it. I don't know how it's going to turn out, but it's something I'm going to do someday. Another part of knowing what you want might involve getting a therapist or a life coach or both. You don't have to worry about paying for college funds for your kids or saving for a wedding. Dish out some moolah and see a counselor. You don't have to have some deep psychological issues to enjoy help from a professional. Tip number four, diversify your friend group. Now is the time to find friends who are not just like you and don't just believe the things that you believe. You don't have to worry about a spouse and making sure your spouse likes these people. You can hang out with all kinds of people, ask them questions, get to know their backgrounds, learn about their political beliefs, their religious beliefs, everything. Don't limit yourself to just like-minded people. Intimacy can be found in many different types of relationships. It's not ideal for any married person to only have their spouse as an intimate friend. I am a far better, healthier person for having a wide variety and diversity to my friendships, from having friends who are different than me. The same is true for everyone, no matter your marriage state. Number five, make changes now. There's a chance you're unhappy right now. There's a chance that the reason that you're unhappy is because you want to be married and you're not married. Maybe you tried to change that situation and you just haven't quite been able to do that. So here's my recommendation. Change things in your life that you do have control over. Maybe you're unhappy in your job. Then start looking for a new job. You don't have to worry about supporting a family, so taking a financial risk to find something that you love, or take a pay cut, or maybe even a pay gap. Maybe you're in a community that doesn't really care about you or want to understand you as a single person. Maybe you've voiced your concern and nothing has happened. Maybe it's time to find a new community where you can really thrive and grow. Maybe there are some things that you always wanted to try, but you were hoping that you would get married so you never tried them. Now is the time to try. To get out that desires list, write it down, and go do it. You have my permission to live a healthy, happy, full, complete, intimate, single life. You have my permission to offer yourself and all of your quirks and weirdness and strengths and weaknesses to the world with all of the passion that makes up you. The world needs your hopes, dreams, gifts, and experience. Finally, take a moment to look around and find out who your allies are. Who are the people who are cheering for you? If you don't have any of those people, go find them. But I have a feeling you might have one or two allies in your corner. Know that I am definitely one of those allies and I am rooting for you in all of your endeavors. 
I believe the conversation around singleness is a conversation for everyone. It's not just meant for the singles to have in a church basement room next door to the youth group. I believe the church has done some really great work in this area, but there's still more to be done. And I believe the more we are willing to engage in conversation, share our experiences, and listen to the experiences of others, the more growth will occur for everyone. I'm Katherine Spearing, and this is Uncertain. 